Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 195 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEverly, bring you into our world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Morning, Mark. Uh, best week of the year, in my opinion, Master's Week. You're dressed for it, baby. I'm dressed for it. Got my green golf shirt on, green pullover. And socks. Then my happy Gilmore inspired socks telling our YouTube Adam viewers Sandler, can take a good look at those bad boys telling the ball to go in its hole so I'm ready they just teed off the first group was what 8 a.m. yeah right around 8 a.m. so they're about an hour underway so should be an interesting one forecast is a little spotty supposed to be thunderstorms on Friday Saturday Sunday so we'll see if it's a, a Monday or possibly even Tuesday finish depending on the weather do you feel comfortable maybe naming some of your favorites for this weekend just a yeah couple? I'll name uh, a couple I think um Jordan Spieth, uh, he's won the previous three Easter weekends, uh, last three years. So, and he's playing really well right now. He's won at Augusta before. Uh, Rory McIlroy to finish the major Grand Slam has to win the Masters, and he's arguably playing the best golf uh, he's played in the past five years. Um, so he's won the U.S. Open, the British Open, and the PGA Championship. So he just needs the Masters to join the elite group of winning all four majors. Interesting. And then I think it's hard to, to bet against Scotty Scheffler, the number one person in the world right now, and he's just on fire this year. So. He seems to be. Yeah. So uh, should be interesting. Can't wait to watch on Sunday. Should be very interesting. Yeah, me too. Um, but before we begin, as always, uh, getting back to our agenda, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on April 5th. As always, this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index down a half a percent for the month and up 6.5% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 0.6% for the month and up 1% for the year. NASDAQ Composite Index down 1.8% for the month and up 14.6% for the year. The Russell 2000 Index, small cap uh, index, is down 2.7% for the month and down 0.4% for the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF flat for the month and up 6.7% for the year. Three-month treasury rate at 4.86%, the two-year treasury rate 3.79%, and the 10-year treasury rate 3.3%. Uh, moving on to big headlines, current events from the week. Uh, the BRIC, uh, BRICS, um, uh, oh my God, uh, countries. <laughs> it's been a long week. Brain fart there for a second. It's all right. Uh, the BRICS countries are working on a new currency, uh, it seems like, Matt. So for those who don't know what that is, BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, and China primarily. Uh, and they plan to discuss details in August during their annual BRICS summit in South Africa. So, um, you know, I don't think this is a, a major story yet, but it's been talked about for quite some time that, you know, the dollar is no longer eventually going to be the reserve currency in the world. Uh, and I know it doesn't really apply to to these countries because they're kind of on their own and at ends with the rest of the world in terms of allies and all that stuff. But anything else to make of this? 
Um, when I saw this post, I saw someone put a cover page of The Economist magazine from 2004 that was predicting that the dollar would no longer be the world's reserve currency in the near future. So this isn't the first time it happened. And that was 19 years ago. Right. So I think this is an ongoing theme. Uh, does it surprise me that countries are going to try to come together and have, say, an alternative? Possibly. But let's just face reality. At the end of the day, you know, the dollar, in my opinion, is not going anywhere anytime soon. Could it diminish in its role, say, the next 50 to 100 years? Absolutely, it could. Mm -hmm. But this is not going to be something that happens in a couple of years. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Uh, next big headline was uh, OPEC announced uh, production cuts on Sunday in a move to get oil prices higher after uh, some recent weakness. Um, so, you know, for, for those that, you know, might not know about OPEC and how gas prices work in oil, you know, production cuts reduces the supply of oil, which increases the price, vice versa. Um, they release more oil, uh, price goes down because there's more supply. Um, but this hasn't really been surprising to me, Matt, just because typically we see leading up to the summer months or as we approach the summer months, gas tends to increase a little bit just because the demand's higher, right? Seasonality, baby. Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, moving on to tweets, articles, and research from this week. The first uh, thing I had was a tweet from Car Dealership Guy on March 28th. And he said, finally, some positive news for car buyers. New car inventories are up 50% year over year. Buyer incentives are up 50% quarter over quarter. And markups are slowly disappearing. Mm -hmm. And he said only mm -hmm. in certain brands. He said the tides are slowly turning. So for anyone out there that's... Uh, looking to buy a car new or used uh, within the next several months definitely Very positive keep your news. eye out because those prices are, are finally starting to come in the old classic supply and demand metrics are coming back into play finally right yeah and it's and it wasn't that long ago where it felt like you know car prices were going to stay elevated forever right yeah that and you drive by these um you know car dealerships and there'd be like nothing on the lot right there was nothing there right you are starting to see just visually more inventory too yeah yeah, yeah. so just wanted to point that out for people possibly in the car market there you go uh, second thing I had was a blog post from Ben Carlson on March 28th um, and this was titled why the stock market makes you feel bad all the time <laughs> so just a few points I want to read from this he says the last new all-time high for the S&P 500 was on January 3rd of 2022 that means it's been almost 450 days since we've experienced new highs in the stock market that feels like a long time but based on the history of markets, it's really not that long. It might be a while until we hit new highs again if we use history as a guide. I looked at every bear market going back to 1950 to see how long it has taken for the markets to reach a new all-time high from the previous peak. This should be good. If we include the current bear market, the average peak to trough drawdown is a loss of a little less than 35%. That's the average. So call it what it is, a third, right? Right, call it a third. Third. The average number of days to go from peak to trough is 381 days, so just over a year. Okay. The average number of days to go from the previous peak to the new all-time high is 1,166 days or more than three years. 
The shortest round trip from peak to peak was the COVID crash in March of 2020. We saw new highs in six months. Before that slingshot of a bear market, the shortest amount of time to see new highs again was 436 days in 1950. Hmm. And again, when we say drawdown, we mean the previous peak until there's a new high reached, right? That's a underwater or drawdown. Yeah, right? I was going to use that term. I always like talking about high watermark. Yeah. Right. So it can take time to fully recover from a bear market. I don't know how long this one will take, but it's not out of the ordinary for the stock market to make you feel terrible on a regular basis. Um, so again, it's just a, a different time than what we've been used to for the previous decade where, you know, markets were making all time highs each and every year. And that's obviously uh, transitioned and, and hasn't happened in quite some time. But I think the opposite side of the coin here, which we talk about a lot, is the market's not making an all time high. And as Ben said, if we use history as our guide, it will at some point in the future. So if you've been waiting for for a buy point, in addition to everything else we discussed this year with the data uh, that indicates to us that it's going to be a decent year, or at least better than 2022, yep. might not be a bad time to, to dip your toe if you've been waiting. It's an interesting look at those guiding emotions and investing a fear and greed. Obviously, there's, you know, times, uh, you know, relatively speaking, if you have a multi-year time horizon where, you know, it's a, a attractive entry point in general. However, it may not feel comfortable to do so. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually when it feels uncomfortable, if you have a long term time horizon, tongue in cheek, it tends to be a good time. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well said. Last thing I had was a blog post from Christine Benz on March 22nd titled Luxury Goods Don't Have to Be Brand Name. So this is going to kind of be our financial planning topic of the week, Matt. But, okay. Um, she says really expensive bags seemed to be proliferating. If a bunch of 27 year olds can afford them, then I certainly can. I rationalized friends ever supportive agreed. You've earned this one said you'll have it forever. Another when the time came for the splurge. However, I found myself dithering while my heart was with a black Chanel quilted bag. The outlay was literally equivalent to a third of my salary in my first job. Buying it required an appointment downtown and I felt <laughs> nervous carrying it. That experience was a good illustration of something I already knew. My definition of luxury has changed over the past few decades. With plentiful funds to cover the purchase and even without, my 30-year-old self wouldn't have blinked. She'd have gone with the Chanel and basked in the admiring looks. But as I've grown up and have more funds at my disposal, a funny thing has happened. I'm much less inclined to want or need to show what I have than was the case when I had much less. My luxury goods today are much more in the category of things that make me feel good inside rather than looking good on the outside. So she has luxury good number one for herself, putting money in its place. The biggest luxury of being financially well, I've realized, is making sure that money doesn't have an outsized influence in any of the major decisions I might make. And most of all, that doesn't cause stress. Luxury number two not having a budget. And this one was really interesting to me. She said, not having a budget is another one of my luxury goods. For years, I was sheepish about not budgeting or at least not budgeting in the conventional way that every single person, every single personal finance book recommended that people do. My husband and I tried sticking to a budget early on in our marriage when our finances were tighter 
and we were saving for a down payment on our first house. Rather than tracking each expense line item line by line, we set our monthly targets for saving and investing, then automated those contributions to our retirement accounts and taxable, taxable brokerage account. Yep. We set fairly easy targets at first and increased them as our incomes grew. Any funds left in our checking account were there to do as we pleased. So I just thought that that was really interesting, and I encourage people to go to Morningstar and read the, the full blog post. But, you know, a while ago I talked about a book from uh, – Ramit Satith that uh, says, I'll teach you to be rich. And he talks about spending money on things that you love and things that you enjoy and not buying things just to quote unquote, keep up with the Joneses. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you age and as you have a family or you buy a new house, you have a new job, your income grows, you get married, your definition of luxury does change. Sure. Um, so, you know, I just thought it was good that, you know, sometimes even if you feel like you should be buying a new car or buying a new handbag in Christine's expense um, example, um, you don't have to if it's not one of your things, right? Yeah, I mean, you could take Rachel and I as an example, you know, right after we got married in 09, I would say in the first five years of our marriage, I, I can remember like four key purchases of what would deem to be you know, luxury handbags that I bought for her. Mm -hmm. After those five years, I have not purchased her any handbags. Right. Because what happened was, is when we got to the, the teens, like around 2014, 2015, the prices on that stuff skyrocketed. And I'm like, it's no longer even remotely cost effective. Mm -hmm. Like it was already a stretch, but the prices are just through the roof. Right. And if I look at like where my wife is at today, we have our household budget. I don't look at anything that she spends as mm -hmm. long as she stays within that budget. And she could clearly afford whatever she wants in that space. And she's getting, you know, it seems to be handbags that are around 100, 150 mm -hmm. bucks, not, you know, $2,000. Right. And it's just interesting to kind of look and maybe that's an age thing. I don't know. Well, yeah. And that's a great definition. And I would say just knowing you both really well you know, a more luxury good for her would be you guys going on a weekend birding trip now. That's right. right. Instead of having that's a right. and that's what she Chanel values. handbag. That's right? what she values. So it's just interesting to see how that stuff changes. And I've obviously had that, you know, in my personal life. And I think any, you know, young person just coming out of college or like the goal is to make as much money as possible, you know, buy a McLaren or a Bugatti or something, have this huge house. Yep. And it's like, you know, I've I've been through that mindset change where it's like, you know, the stuff I value now is very, very different from what I valued even three or four years ago. Well said. So well um, said. Just interesting. Wanted to throw that out there. A nice uh, multi-purpose topic for you. Yeah. Financial planning topic of the week. Good piece. So, well played. Yeah. Thank you. That was a good article. Really, really recommend people read the whole thing. You ready for me? Sure. All right, my first piece is a post uh, by Seth Golden, and he was referencing Fundstrat Research, and this was on April 2nd, Mark. For those that don't know, um, Fundstrat Research is led by a gentleman uh, by the name of Tom Lee. I'm a Tom Lee fan. He used to be the head market strategist at JP Morgan, okay? And um, he had this post where he was quoting Fundstrat, and I'm going to do the quote. The S&P 500 has now posted two consecutive quarters of gains 
a pattern not seen in any bear market over the past 50 years. This solidifies our view that the October 12th, 2022 was the bear market low and we are six months into a new bull market. It is the bears who are trapped." End quote. Now, uh, Jenna will share this um, chart with our YouTube viewers. This will be available uh, for our show notes for our traditional podcast listeners. Mark, for our newer listeners, will you remind them how they can access these show notes, please? Yeah. So uh, at any of our social media sites, uh, Jessup Wealth on Twitter, Jessup Wealth Management on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. So what this chart's going to show from Fundstrat is it goes back to 2006 and it shows the S&P 500 performance on a quarterly basis, Mark. And he was just uh, illustrating, he being Tom Lee at Fundstrat, was just illustrating, you know, that uh, in their opinion, they feel that this is a new bull market, that this is not what we would call a bear market rally, that is a rally within still a downtrend. You know, we saw this downtrend in place for four quarters, all quarters, uh, mainly in, in 2022, and that broke in the fourth quarter, right? Mm -hmm. So um, this is obviously one opinion. He's backing that up going back to 1950. You're our firm's chief investment officer. You know, what? when you see this kind of data, what goes through your mind? Yeah, I just... Um I would tend to agree with this research. And again, the, you know, industry definition of a new bull market is, you know, 20% up from the lows, right? Correct, sir. Um, the NASDAQ has already exceeded that. Um, I don't know where we stand really on the S&P 500, but yep. um, I think in my opinion, just to even simplify it even more is, you know, a bull market is by definition, higher highs and higher lows in price. So oh, very well, well said, by the way, very simply, you know, price moving from the lower left hand of the chart to the upper right hand of the chart. And obviously, like you alluded to in 2022, it was the opposite. We had uh, lower highs and lower lows chart moving from the upper left to the bottom right, which is what we don't want to see. Correct. And at least for now, we do have uh, higher highs and higher lows in place. From that October low. From the October low uh, at this very critical level of about 4,100 uh, to 3,900 on the S&P 500. And if you uh, tuned in and listened last week, me and Nick talked about how we've been in this just sideways trading range for about the last year, since May of 2022. Sure. So. Um, and that's been all the way up to 4,200 and all the way low is, you know, 37, 3,800. And that's probably one of the most frustrating markets, I think, for investors and people that are allocating money um, because you just get whipped around, right? You get chopped around There's a lot. no really strong definition of a trend. And we're starting to see possibly that that might break. And if it does, I think we're going to be off to the races. So. Um, yeah, two consecutive quarters of gains is the start. So we'll just need to see some follow through. But um, this doesn't feel like a, a bear market rally, in my opinion. Again, yeah, I love what you, what you said there. And I think it's just a nice piece of anecdotal data that is indicating that, OK, that's in the positive column. Right. So this next piece, number two, um, I think is going to be right down your alley for our regular listeners. 
you were pointing out the seasonality of the four-year presidential election cycle earlier in the year, Mark. Mm -hmm. Will you just take a second and explain to our listeners what is the four-year presidential election cycle? Yeah, so it's just looking through stock market returns uh, through the lens of history with uh, four-year presidential terms, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you know, we chart out and do all the data on you know what are the strongest parts of that four-year cycle and what are the weakest parts of that four-year cycle. And sure. again, for new listeners, uh, year two or the midterm year of the presidential cycle tends to be extremely weak relative to the other three years, mm -hmm. right? And the interesting part is that year three, the, or what we call the pre-election year, which is 2023 in our case, tends to, excuse me, be the strongest part out of the four-year presidential cycle. Um, so again, that just is another data in our cap that I think things are going to be better than what they were in 2022. Well, you're going to love this next piece I have, because this piece is from Carson Investment Research uh, through a friend over there, Ryan Dietrich. What he did is he went back and he looked at those midterm election years, Mark, that were negative. And what he did is he looked at it and said, what were the returns in year three after a negative year in the midterm? So next, Jenna will put up this chart for our YouTube viewers. I would highly encourage our traditional podcast listeners to take a look at this. What you're going to find is the data set back to 1950, Mark, 1962, 66, 70, 74, 1990, 94, 2002, 2018, and 2022. Of those data sets, the average return in year three after a negative midterm year was 24.6%. And the thing that almost scares me to verbalize is that it was higher 100% of the time. Right. Yeah, it just goes to show you that, you know, there's something to this data set that we've been talking about for the past six months or so. Um, and the, the compliance side of me has to say, just because it's been right 100% of the time, doesn't even guarantee or imply or mean it's going to be higher this year. I have to say that from my compliance side, but that's the data set. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, again, we like to, to throw this stuff out because this isn't the stuff that you're hearing about in the news. Absolutely not. You're hearing that, you know, the banking crisis is going to bring down the economy. Uh, Russia-Ukraine war is going to get a lot worse. Inflation's not done yet. But I'd That's rather look at data than the worry, headlines. baby. It's climbing that wall of worry. That's right. Talk about that savings, uh, that banking crisis. My next piece plays perfectly right into that comment. Okay. All right. So my item number three has to do with market bottoms in comparison to how, say, GDP's um, behaving in the U.S. and underlying corporate earnings. Now, the source of this piece is going to give you a little bit of a chuckle. Okay. The source of this piece is a trader that I follow on Twitter. This is not an exaggeration. The Twitter handle is the short bear. Okay. This trader has 60,000 followers. Okay. I don't know this individual personally. I just see he or she post certain things and some of it intrigues me. Okay. Okay. So on March 30th, the short bear posted this and Jenna will show this image now um, for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. 
And what it does is it goes back and it shows different time periods comparing Mark, the S&P 500, when it bottomed and when the economic data such as GDP or earnings, EPS, earnings per share of the S&P 500, when that bottomed. Mm -hmm. And look at some of these different periods of time. And guess what? They're going to correlate to some of the comments you made before in history. Okay? So one of the periods was the Eisenhower recession, and that was back in the late 50s. Next area was the stagflation area of the 70s. There's the savings and loan crisis, right, of the late 80s, early 90s. What you're going to see is a common theme on all of these charts, which is where the market bottoms well before GDP bottoms and corporate earnings bottom. Why am I highlighting this? I want to remind our viewers and listeners that it is normal, it is common with history that the market tends to get better before things on Main Street America start to get better. And I was in a client review meeting um, yesterday with Aaron Kramer. And Aaron Kramer is one of our wealth advisors and he's been on the podcast before. And a client asked that type of question. Hey, I'm reading the news. My perception is things are gonna get worse. They didn't use the term Main Street America like I used in the podcast, but mm -hmm. that was what their insinuation was. And Aaron said, well, let's take a look at 2022. He said, the economy was, was just fine last year. Would you agree? And the client said, yes. And he goes, well, you know, the market had a pretty bad year because the market led that down. And he goes, just as the market was ahead of the economy getting weak, it's very normal for the market to recover ahead of when the economy bottoms. This puts what he mentioned with some data behind it. Yeah. And I wanted to highlight this for listeners because I do think things on Main Street America are going to get worse before they get better. With what the Federal Reserve has done in raising interest rates, in my opinion, will cause sluggishness in the economy in the second half of the year. Wall Street's thinking they're going to cut rates between now and the end of the year. If you look at Fed Fund Futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, it's thinking three interest rate cuts of a quarter of a point. That could be debated. And as I said in the podcast, that'll be the debate of the second half of the year. But don't um, confuse the stock market right now with the economy. Your response. Yeah, it's a great graphic. I love this graphic. We've talked about it um, before, and it just pretty obviously shows that the market sniffs out the recovery before GDP earnings or employer payrolls. Yes, sir. Um, so I would be with you. And we've been communicating this for the past several months that I think things in the economy are going to get worse before they get better. And it's very possible that we go into a recession this year. Sure. But that doesn't mean that just because we're going into a recession or because the mark or the economy is struggling now, it doesn't mean that stocks can't move higher because we've seen those environments before. And that's what you're seeing on these, these graphs here. Perfectly put. My last piece will be very quick. This is a reminder about the two guiding emotions of investing, fear and greed. And what you're gonna find is, this is a post from um, Unusual Whales. 
It's a uh, Twitter account that I follow that shows kind of large trades that tend to happen in the market. This is a post from April 1st, and it shows a chart that Jenna will put up for our YouTube viewers. It shows Isaac Newton's nightmare back in the 1700s. And what it shows is a chart of a stock called the South Sea Stock. And it's from December of 1718 to December of 1721. And what this shows is when Isaac Newton originally made a position in this stock, makes very good money, exits its happy, then all of a sudden, all of his friends start buying it and they really see some gains. And all of a sudden, FOMO hits in, the fear of missing out. All my friends are making money on this shiny investment idea. I wanna be in on this. And what happened? What does the chart tell you, Mark? Yeah, um, Newton got in kind of near the top. And it bankrupted him. Mm -hmm. This was the quote from Isaac Newton afterwards. Quote, I can calculate the movement of stars, but not the madness of men, end quote. Newton apparently said after he lost his fortune. Yeah, it's interesting. And we've seen this, you know, time and time again. Time again. We, we saw it more, probably most recently with crypto, uh, mm -hmm. with the meteoric rise and subsequent meteoric fall. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen this with uh, the pot stocks, the marijuana stocks. Keep going. You got oil stocks. We're, we're hot for a while there. Um, it's just the hot trend that's mm -hmm. always, always around. There's always a hot trend. Yeah, and typically if you know, you're know you hearing already about how much money people have made on something. The easy money's been made. The easy money's Generally been made. Speaking. And, and that's what happened in the tech blow up in the early 2000s, right? It's like people couldn't lose money buying anything that ended with .com, right? And then you know, as people were learning this and piling into it, it wasn't too long thereafter where it had a pretty substantial fall gravity took effect and guess what matters have matter, earnings mattered all right so usually when you hear about this stuff it's already too late and again talked about this several times before but typically when people are boasting or bragging about how much money that they've made in something it's like you said the easy money's been made and just because someone else has made money in something doesn't mean that you're going to make money in something everyone's risk tolerances are different and the last piece of this is no one's going to talk about their losses. Boom. And so you perfectly put it. So in the future, I know these, these trends will him and ha. In the next couple of years, when the next kind of hot trend comes and it's the water cooler talk about, you know, their friends at work, I'm going to sit there and say, hey, remember ep episode uh, number 195 of our podcast? Go back to the end. I had a reference point about, you know, the hot investment theme that's in vogue. You know, those things come and go. Be careful. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Um, anything else before we wrap up for the week? Uh, jobs report tomorrow uh, is coming out. It's going to be very key. We are seeing initial jobless claims rise. And so it wouldn't surprise me if those numbers come in softer. The expectation I saw on Bloomberg was somewhere in the avenue of 300,000. I think it could be less. I just think that you're going to see that trend lower with the Fed's done. And then we have inflation data next week uh, on the 12th at 8.30 a.m. We have CPI. Mm -hmm. And then uh, not too far away from earnings season. Correct, sir. Banks so, are at the end of next week. Does that sound about right? Yeah, or the beginning think, of the following? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So banks will kick it off like they always do. 
Um, but other than that, hope uh, everyone has a great long weekend. Uh, happy Easter to everybody. And Check out the Masters, everyone. Yeah, yeah. We'll be we'll be back with you uh, next week for episode 196. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.